Back in May of 2018, you may remember this, there was an erupting volcano on the big island in Hawaii there, the Kilauea Island. And uh, it just started haphazardly spewing lava all over the place and causing property damage. And then eventually the, the lava was coming down the roads and uh, making roads virtually impassable. And, uh, and there were also some very deadly consequences and over 700 different homes were destroyed. Now I have never been near an erupting volcano. But I am pretty sure that if somebody came to my house, some emergency personnel or something, and they knocked on my door and they told me there was an erupting volcano and lava flows were coming toward my house, I can tell you I'm evacuating. I am doing what they tell me to do. But on the day that they were ordering evacuations there on this volcano, not everybody heeded the warnings. Here's a, a guy, a couple of guys there who didn't. My first thought was when I saw that picture, that gives a whole definition to golf hazard, doesn't it? At the time, NBC News provided these details about this particular day. It says, Hawaii's Kilauea volcano blow, will blow its top in the coming days or weeks. It will hurl ash and boulders the size of refrigerators miles into the air, shutting down airline traffic and endangering lives in all directions. And then this guy, Charles Mandeville, who is a volcano hazards expert coordinator with the U.S. Geological Department. I didn't know those kind of guys existed. He makes this very brilliant statement. If it goes up, it will come down. Not sure how long you have to go to school to figure that out, but anyway, I'm sure he's an intelligent man. But he added, you don't want to be underneath anything that weighs tick 10 tons when it's coming at you at 120 miles an hour. But here we see this guy that works for Getty, a Getty photographer. His name was um, Mario Tama, taking this picture of these guys golfing as this plume of ash and this volcano is erupting behind them. So I'm thinking, evidently, this guy is having the round of his life, right? I mean, like his best 18, and I can just hear him say, ain't no stinking volcano going to keep me from finishing this round. And you just kind of get that idea and... You know, I kind of commend him as you see this close-up on his focus. You know, obviously his focus, and that's some pretty good follow-through if, if you're a, a golfer. But apparently, he's so focused on landing his shot on the green that he's unaware that his life is in danger. And like I said, the very day that they're golfing, their emergency personnel are going around telling everybody, you need to evacuate. But apparently, many chose not to. Now, I will say this. Let's not be too hard on him because a lot of us can get sidetracked with momentary, momentary pleasures while we shouldn't be. But today, we're kind of concluding our series, I Love Our Church. And I'm going to kind of be sharing a message today that I believe has really big implications for Burning Bush Baptists. Our mission statement, as we've talked about over and over during this series, is connecting people to Jesus and each other. But my concern is this, that we have gotten too comfortable 
and this life, and we've lost our sense of urgency as Christians. Ryan Burge is a political science professor at Eastern Illinois University. And his kind of thing is, he kind of observes the interaction between political science or politics and religion. And he just very recently made this statement. There is a dip in passion over the last 20 years that Christians have for sharing their faith in Jesus. And I would probably add, it's probably been longer than 20 years. And here's the result. We are just reluctant to share our faith, even with people that we care about, even though we can realize that they're in danger. And we as believers understand that that Jesus is the cure for a, a sick world. We understand that Jesus is the cure for so much of what ails our country. We know that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is the evacuation route. But yet, we tend to keep silent about Him. And He's told us over and over that it's our responsibility to share our faith. And this morning when I talk about we, I'm including myself. I think all of us. We've just gotten reluctant. And over and over, Jesus says, you need to share your faith. Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and unto the ends of the earth. But we don't do it. So why is that? Why are we reluctant? I think there are a number of, of different reasons Maybe we're afraid that if, if we're talking about Jesus, somebody's going to ask us a question that we don't know the answer to. I get that. Or maybe we're afraid of being rejected. Of course, Jesus knew all about rejection. Or maybe you're thinking something along these lines. Well, I tried that one time with a relative, and it didn't go very good, and it was just a very awkward and, and very tense conversation, and I'm just not going to go down that path again. Or maybe you wouldn't say this, but you think it, or maybe your actions show it. I don't really care. I'm just kind of apathetic about it. I know where I'm going, and I'm not that concerned about other people. And that's, like I said, you probably wouldn't say that, but maybe that's, that's what you're thinking. And you never say a good word about Jesus to anybody that's not already a believer. And you won't unless you're intentional. You know, all the stuff we've talked about in this series, whether it was loving radically that we talked about in week one, or our personal spiritual growth, or last week worship, or any of the things in between there, you have to be intentional about these things. The same thing is true of our faith. We have to be intentional if we're going to share Jesus. We have to make a choice to tell people about Jesus. And at this church, we want to be certain that we're taking intentional steps to have spiritual conversations with people. Because eternity hangs in the balance. And that means we need to be planting seeds. You can't reap a harvest if you don't plant any seeds. And so one of my questions for you this morning is, when's the last time you planted a seed? And when you plant seeds, you never know what could happen. Pastor David Stone recalls a story that he's told 
about his wife whose name is Beth. And Beth was in a clothing store in the mall one day. And she was at a clothing rack looking through some clothes. And she heard a person on the other side, a younger lady, say to an older lady, I just need to find a church. And so the pastor's wife, Beth, her ears kind of perked up. And so she began to kind of make her way around the clothing rack to where that lady was. And uh, then the lady said it again to this older lady. She says, I just need to find a church. I've got young kids now and I need to find a church. At that point, the pastor's wife kind of spoke up a little bit and said, so, so you're looking for a church? And she said, yes, I am. I'm, I'm looking for a church. And so Beth, the pastor's wife, she said, well, I know of a very good one if you want to come and visit. And she told him a little bit about the church and she gave him her phone number and said, if you ever want to come, just call me and I'll meet you somewhere there and you can sit with me and you can just kind of get a feel for things. And Beth had no idea if anything would become of it. Well, the very next day, this young lady, her name was Nancy, called Beth and said, I'd like to come to church with you this Sunday. So they arranged a meeting spot and, and they met and, and Beth and Nancy sat together. And for three straight weeks, Nancy came. And then Beth said, hey, I'm also involved in a women's Bible study. I don't teach it, but I host it. Would you like to come to that and meet some other ladies? And, you know, Nancy was like, sure. And so she began to attend that Bible study. Her kids were coming to church. Her husband began to attend on Sunday with her. And then one night, after several months had gone by, Pastor Stone received a phone call. He said, this was from the, the dad, he said, we'd all like to get baptized this Sunday. So they all got baptized, some more time went by, and Nancy and her husband eventually surrendered to the mission field, and today they're on the mission field. How did all that start? It started... Because a perceptive housewife who is just out shopping overhears the conversation and just issues a simple invitation. And the good news is that Nancy and her entire family accepted Christ. Their lives were changed and now they're missionaries and other people's lives are being changed because Nancy and her husband are sharing the gospel. Now there's also some bad news from this. Some of you wives are going to think that God has called you to minister in the malls. Yeah, you can laugh. Yeah, sure. And uh, you're going to be coming home with lots of bags of stuff from the mall and your husband's going to say, where have you been? And you're going to be like, i just been out sharing Jesus like the pastor told us to. But the point is this. Wherever you are, it doesn't matter if you're at the ball game, at school, at work, at the mall. You make the most of every opportunity. And I know we have folks here that understand that. We have folks that go on mission trips and Project 127s and our wow ladies do all kinds of things in the community. And we have groups that are going up to the hospitals and praying with people and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in the ICU rooms. Our youth pastor, he's over at the campuses sharing the good news over there. Why is that? Because there are not very many non-believing students that they're going to come to his office. So he goes to them. 
And that's a great lesson for all of us. We just can't sit in our little Christian huddles and expect people to come. We need to be out there planting the seeds. So again, what are you doing for the kingdom? When was the last time you said a good word on behalf of Jesus? You know, it'd be great if you had the cure for cancer and and you could change people's lives here on earth that way. But what about the good news that changes their lives for all eternity? So this morning, we're going to kind of dig in in Colossians chapter 4. The first part of Colossians chapter 4, all the references will be on the screen behind me, or, you, you know, of course... Be glad for you to look it up on your phone or in your, in your Bible. But Colossians chapter 4, Paul is kind of asking for prayer for himself and then also for the other believers. And he's kind of wrapping up his letter to the Colossians. And he's going to talk about faith and sharing faith with other people. So let's look at what he has to say as he's wrapping up what he has to say to these folks. I'm going to pick it up in verse 2. Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So the first thing I want you to see is this. When we're sharing our faith, sharing starts with praying to God about people. That's the starting point, becoming a person of prayer. We believe that there's power in prayer. And prayer can play a pivotal role in an aimless person's life, giving them direction. Prayer can can give people comfort. It can also soften a hardened heart. A couple words here I want you to notice because they're kind of important. This word devote means to be constantly diligent. It's not a one-time prayer that we say. This is a continual prayer. It's partnering with the Holy Spirit as we pray for people. You'll notice the word alert also. It says with an alert mind. It means that you're actually watching to see what God is going to do when you pray. You're not just mindlessly repeating something. It's like you're excited and you're awake and you're wanting to see what is God going to do because of my prayer. That's what that word alert means. So you speak to God about people. That's the starting point. Then in verse 3, he continues. And pray for us too, Paul says, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now think about this. Paul is writing from a prison. He's in chains. But he doesn't see this as an inconvenience. He doesn't see this necessarily as something terrible. He sees it as an opportunity. Even in a prison cell, he sees it as an opportunity. He doesn't focus on himself and his own discomfort or the fact that that he's unjustly been put into prison. Instead, he's focused on other people's spiritual needs. And I think a lot of times prayer is like is the most underappreciated, underrated tool in our faith when it comes to sharing our faith. Have you ever heard this? Because I bet you have. Somebody gets baptized and then you'll hear somebody say, I've been praying for that for 10 years. 
Or sometimes you'll hear somebody say, I've been praying for that for 20 or 30 years. Prayer paves the way for a receptive heart. It clears the path. And you know, a lot of times it might just be as simple as asking somebody, could I pray for you? You know, even, I've hardly ever even met a non-believer that wasn't okay with you praying for them. I mean, I mean, yeah, I know there are some that would say, no, I don't want you to do that. But most of them are more than happy for you to pray for them. And our men's group that meets on Wednesday nights, I've heard this several different times from several different men in our groups, that when a crisis situation pops into the lives of one of their coworkers, they come to them because they know that they're Christians and seek prayer from, from that particular person. Because they know you're different. They know that you have a power source through, through, the, through the Holy Spirit. So we pray for people. Notice verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. So Paul's asking for God to give him clarity, and he's asking for these folks, pray that I'll be able to present the gospel clearly. And he's asking for confidence at the same time. So what might this look like for you if, if you're praying for people? Well, maybe it just means that you pray for an unbeliever, the same unbeliever every day. Or maybe it means maybe you've got a list of people, of friends and acquaintances and, and relatives, and, and you're just praying for them each day. Maybe it means you take your phone and you just set an alarm on it. And when that alarm goes off, it's a reminder for you to pray for, a, for an unbeliever or maybe a couple unbelievers. Or maybe it just means sending out a text or an email to somebody and just say, Hey, how could I pray for you? And when we pray for people, things begin to happen. But there's a second part of this, and I mean, it's really simple. We speak to people about God. We pray about people, but then we have to actually speak to people. We have to be intentional about speaking. Look at verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. There's actually another translation that I really like. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of, of every opportunity. So we want to live wisely among those that we work with, among those that we rub shoulders with. So how do you make the most of every opportunity? Well, you let your light... Let Jesus, let your light shine in the setting that God has placed you. I think sometimes we think well, this, that this means when we're talking about sharing our faith, that, that we just have to go up and just talk to people that we don't even know, cold turkey, or we walk through neighborhoods and just knock on the door and, and talk to complete strangers. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of us grew up doing that. You know, that's, that's what I grew up with. And, and you knock on a complete stranger's door and they come to the door. Hey, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? You could do that. But we live in a different society now. I don't know that that works that well because most of us don't want strangers knocking on our doors. We're not answering our phone when we see phone numbers that we don't know. It's a different kind of world. But you know where you can make the most of your opportunity? The setting that God has placed you, the circle of influence that you have. Because all of us have a circle of influence, a setting. You've got friends, you've got relatives, you've got co-workers, you've got students that you go to school with. That, that sphere of influence. Make the most of your opportunities in that area where God has placed you. 
And then one of the ways you can do that is just to share your story. That's what Paul would do. You know, he, he had all kinds of things that he would share his story about. He would tell them, hey, look, I used to arrest Christians. I used to execute Christians. My name was Saul. And then God changed my life and even changed my name. And now I'm Paul. And you know what? Nobody could refute his story. You see, you can talk to people and they can take a shot at, at our church or, or any other church and say that's, you know, I had a bad experience there. Or when I was younger, the leadership failed me or, you know, I didn't like this particular person or I didn't like that preacher or pastor or whatever it might be. But you know what they can't deny? They can't deny what God has done in your life. They can't refute that. And there's a couple ways that we can talk to people about God. One is, like I'm saying, share your story. And you, you know, just be able to give your, we call it a testimony a lot of times, right? But it's your story. You ought to be able to tell people what God has done in your life. And I suggest that, that you keep it kind of brief. You don't want to be a chatty Cathy at this point. You know, people have short attention spans and you don't know how much time you're going to have. But you should be able to share, maybe just briefly in a minute or thereabouts, what God has done in your life. I'll give you an example of somebody who didn't do that very well. I read a story about a pastor who was on an airplane. And he sat down and the guys that he was sharing, you know, sitting next to him, they begin to engage in a conversation. And the pastor quickly realized that this man that was sitting next to him was going to start sharing Jesus with him. So he decided rather than saying he was a pastor, he'd just sit back and, and see what the guy had to say. And uh, so the guy starts telling him his story and, you know, about how Jesus has changed his life. And the guy just goes on and on and on, like, like he never comes up for air, like the Energizer Bunny or something. Just on and on and on. And the pastor says, I'll never forget because he had not taken a breath when the pilot came on the intercom and said, we are fixing to land in Jacksonville, Florida. That's how long the guy talked. He said he never asked me one single question the whole time. And the pastor said, I'm thinking, land the plane, land the plane, land the plane. And he wasn't talking about the pilot. In fact, he even jokingly said, the more he talked, the more I was tempted to leave the faith. But as they were coming in for the actual landing, the guy finally asked him if he wanted to become a believer. And the pastor said, well, I've been a believer for over three decades, and I love your zeal, and I love your enthusiasm but next time you might want to ask a few questions because it should be a monologue, I mean a dialogue, not a monologue. And you know, there's some great wisdom for all of us. We're not trying to wear people out, but we do want to share what God has done in our life. You know what a great biblical story of that is? Somebody that, that, that lives was changed over in the Gospels? The blind man. You remember that story? So Jesus comes and he heals the blind man, the blind man, and you would think that the Pharisees would have celebrated that, right? But no, they didn't like that. And, and they begin to interrogate this guy that was blind. And he's getting really frustrated. And it must have been a very aggressive uh, kind of interrogation. And finally, the guy, the, the guy that's been, you know, has been given his sight, he, he's just totally frustrated. And he kind of blurts out, you know, basically, I don't know who this guy was, but what I do know is now I see. And you can put that in your pipe and smoke it. Actually, he didn't say the last part there, but that's a loose, loose paraphrase. But basically what he's saying, I don't know who he was, but he gave me my sight. And they couldn't refute 
his story. The beautiful thing about telling what God's done for you, you don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to have all kinds of Bible knowledge. You just communicate what God has done for you. And then when you tell your story, the next thing you need to share, God's story. And you, you ask questions. Like, why do you think Jesus came to this earth? What do you think happens to a person when they die? And you just ask questions and you, you, know, you just start a conversation. And, and hopefully they'll probably ask you some questions back. And it's just kind of a springboard to, to engage in a, in, in a talk about their, their spiritual journey. And then Paul kind of concludes, and he kind of gives us some advice on these kinds of conversations. I'm sure you've seen people that were just so aggressive about sharing their faith that they were just about obnoxious about it. Well, listen to what Paul has to say. Verse 6, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Such great advice. Let your conversations be seasoned with grace. Now, I don't know what that looks like in your life to have conversations that are seasoned with grace. I don't know what that looks like in your workplace. And I understand that, that some of you are in very rough settings. I understand that probably some of you go to family reunions and you're the only believer there. And it's just a rough, kind of place to be and everybody wants to know why maybe you won't drink or whatever it is that's going on and, and, and it's just a tough situation and I understand that some of you when you park in the parking lot tomorrow morning and walk into the workplace that that it's brutal and you might be the only believer there but could you say a good word on behalf of Jesus this week just just say a good word and I don't know what that looks like for you. I have, I have no idea. But I know that's what Jesus expects us to do. And that's what he expects the church to do. And that's why our mission statement is connecting people to Jesus and each other. I want to kind of show you the picture that we started off with one more time this morning. That picture there. And I just want you to kind of think about this maybe in a, in a more personal way, what it might represent. That man could be your neighbor. That man could be your barber, the person who's in the cubicle working next to you, your dad, your waitress, your girlfriend or boyfriend, your teammate, a peer at school, and they're oblivious to what's going on. And they have no idea, just like that guy seems to have no idea. They're oblivious to the obvious. Maybe they don't even realize that they're headed to a Christless eternity. Or maybe they've made a conscious choice and they're just rebelling. There are those people. But I think a lot of people, they just don't know. And they've never had somebody that loved on them. They've never seen people that actually modeled for them a lifestyle that was different than everybody else that they work with or go to school with. They don't see any difference between those that go to church and those unbelievers. They've never seen that. And God places us all in different settings. And you can just kind of blend in or you can just stand out a little bit because that's what God is calling you to do. Just sharing tactfully, lovingly, conversations of grace, the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Sometimes we just need to stop making excuses and, and just do it.
I'll close with this. In 1923, so almost 100 years ago, a church in Stockholm, Sweden, sent two missionary couples to the Congo. Their names were Save and David Flood, and then also Bertha and Joel Erickson. They macheted their way through the jungle and established a mission there. And for the first year, nobody wanted to hear what they had to say. Nobody was interested in the gospel. Save became pregnant. And 17 days after giving birth to a little girl, she died of malaria. Her husband David was so overcome with grief that he gave the little girl to the other missionary family there, the Ericsons, and he returned to Sweden. He, for the next five decades, just to do something about the hurt, became an alcoholic, just trying to numb the pain. And he told everyone around him, don't ever mention God to me again. The Ericsons began to raise this little girl. Her name was Ina. And both of them were poisoned by the local villagers when Ina was still just a toddler. So she was given to another missionary couple that was from America, and eventually this missionary couple returned back to the States. Paul Batterson, in his book All In, tells about this story. She returns to the States. She grows up the rest of her years in the States, and she attends college. She gets married. She has children of her own. And for her 25th wedding anniversary, she asked her husband, if they could go back to Sweden so she might could find her biological father. She goes back to Sweden on the last day of her trip. She finds her dad in this run-down apartment building dying of liver failure. I'm sure the last words that David Flood ever expected to hear were, Papa, it's Ina. Hugs were exchanged. Bitterness was dissolved, and he passed away the next day while she was flying back to the United States. Now the rest of the story. Five years later, Ina was in a religious conference in London, England. There were over 10,000 delegates there. One of the delegates and one of the main speakers was an African-American pastor from the Congo. After he spoke, Ana realized that this man, he had mentioned it in his, in his speaking, that he was from the same general area where Ina had been born. So after he got done speaking, she made her way up to talk to him, and she asked him if he knew about the village that she was born in. He said, yes, I know that village. I was born in that village too. And then they began to converse a little bit, and she asked if he ever knew the missionary's name, the floods. And he said he did. He said when he was five years old, every day he used to take chicken eggs to Mrs. Flood at, at her back door. And said she told me about Jesus Christ. And then he added, I don't know if she ever had a single convert besides me. And then he went on to say that Mrs. Flood had died given child in childbirth. And he said, I always wondered what happened to her little girl. Ina revealed that she was that little girl. And they cried and hugged like two long-lost siblings. The African pastor then spoke and said, A few months ago I placed flowers on your mother's grave. 
on behalf of the hundreds of churches in the Congo and the thousands of believers in the Congo. Thank you for letting your mom come here and die so that we can have eternal life. Sometimes it feels like we're not making a difference, but we are. Our job is to plant the seeds. We don't know what God's going to do with them, but our job is to share our faith and plant the seeds, and then He does the rest. So my challenge to you this week, would you pray that God will just put somebody in your path that you can just say a good word on behalf of Jesus? This week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you for these stories. These stories remind us of how you're working on earth today. And I thank you for Paul's words. And Father, just the, the gentleness that comes through there and the, the necessity of prayer. And Father, just the necessity of, of sharing our faith. I want to pray for us all today, all of us. Father, help us to, to not be ashamed, not be embarrassed, to be looking for opportunities and praying for opportunities. It doesn't have to be this thing that's uncomfortable and awkward. Help us to live lives where people want to ask us questions. And help us to be aware when those opportunities are before us. Father, just speak with us today challenge us a little bit. Move us out of our comfort zone a little bit. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.